The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And we are ready for the much anticipated, hotly debated, Duff McKagan joke of the week. Hey, Chris Jericho. Uh, hey, everybody there. I'm, I'm uh, leaving a message here on uh, my, 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 I don't know, text message, whatever, voice thing. So here we go. Um, Chris Jericho, if I'm reading their lips correctly... My neighbors are, are talking about the creepy guy next door. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Duff, uh, what can we say? Except for thanks for never letting us down. Duff and GNR just kicked off their summer tour last night in Abu Dhabi. They'll be out all summer. They added Anything Goes for the first time in 30 years, uh, even more. They also put in uh, Pretty Tied Up for the first time in 30 years and Bad Obsession for the first time in 30 years. So I'm glad they're kind of digging out some of those older classics. Uh, Fozzie's back at it, too. We got a handful of final dates on this great tour we've done with Ugly Kid Joe and Pistols at Dawn. We are off tonight, but tomorrow, Saturday, we hit the ranch in Fort Myers. Sunday night, we're in Tampa at Janice Landing, and we wrap it all up Monday in Destin, Florida. Go to FozzyRock.com for the final tickets, and there's still some VIP meet and greets left, one of the best of the biz. We take pictures with you, play a mini concert for you, private concert for you, uh, sign stuff. It's a really good time. So come to FozzyRock.com, and we'll see you on the road. And something else that just launched this week is Season 4 of Dark Side of the Ring. It premiered on Vice on Tuesday. Evan Husney and Jason Eisner returned to give us a sneak peek at this season's stories and share some of the stuff left on the cutting room floor. The season started this week with the Chris Candido and Sonny story. They tried hard to get Sonny, explain why she never was able to appear on the show. Uh, they talk about upcoming episodes about Doink the Clown, Matt Bourne, Abdul the Butcher, Adrian Adonis, Marty Janetti, Bam Bam Bigelow, Junkyard Dog, Bash at the Beach 2000. We get into how they chose some of these and the links they went to to get interviews and putting the stories together. It's a great inside look at this season of Dark Side of the Ring with Evan Husney and Jason Eisen, the producers. And it starts right here, right now on Talk is Jericho. All right, so uh, another exciting season of Dark Side of the Ring is imminent, about to be released. Jason Eisner and Evan Husney are back. I think this is probably your third or fourth time you've been on the show. <laughs> yep. And once again, working with you guys is always a pleasure. And I'm sorry if you hear some racket in the background. There's a sound check going on, but this is this is this is it. Life on the road, man. That's your life. That's right. 
But um, let's talk about originally there was a huge rumor going around that that there was going to be no more dark sides. And that was kind of officially reported. And I was like, <laughs> I've never heard this. And we discussed it. So how did that happen to, to get out there? Oh, man. You know, I have to say, you know, growing up as a, you know, giant wrestling fan, reading the wrestling newsletters, you know, and then to one day think, you know, you'd be part of the wrestling rumor and innuendo cycle is kind of fun, right? But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it, it basically was just like something that kind of snowballed in from speculation into fact somewhere along the way. You know, I think it was because we were doing Tales from the Territories and there wasn't a, you know, season four announcement right off the heels of season three. People just sort of assumed that, well, maybe it wasn't coming back. Obviously, here we are, you know, season four. <laughs> and and the other question is, too, like, um, well, there was a little bit of a side thing going on, too, because you did the Tales from the Territories. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that, because I, I enjoyed that. I know I know that uh, Dwayne Johnson had a lot to do with it. Yeah. Kind of talk about, about that kind of detour as well. When we were making, when we made Dark Side of the Ring, we're, like, hearing so many amazing stories as you know, through the years that don't necessarily fit into episodes. Yeah. And so we just collected them along the way and thought like, man, it'd be awesome to one day have like a, a venue to be able to tell these stories. And I know Dwayne Johnson was like also a big fan of like the territory era. And he loves like finding out about all these little crazy stories that would happen from that time period. And so he loved the idea of like creating something where we could have a little bit more fun and, and get into like four or five different stories in an episode, as opposed to dark side of the ring where it mostly focuses on like one event. Yeah. And I, like, like I said, it, it was, it was interesting, you know, getting those guys together at the, at the table and, you know, hearing some of the stories where I'm like, this is such bullshit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like, the Ken Patera is like, dude, come on. Like, you don't even believe this, but that's kind of the old timer. Like, tell me some of the highlights yeah. that you enjoyed about working with those guys. Oh man, it was so much fun. I mean, you know, that, that is, was such a big part of our experience working on dark side was, you know, as fans with cameras coming into this world, you know, it was very difficult to separate, you know, fact from fiction and being worked by the old timers, you know, and things like that. And I think when it came to territories, it's like it's such a part of the wrestling business. Those tall tales, you know, that have survived for decades on the road and in locker rooms and so on and so forth. And so I think we wanted to capture that experience of like how these kind of legends have grown and become these crazy impossible stories, you know, um, over time, because that is such a big part of, you know, the wrestling business. And I, I, th I think I think it was fun to do that with territories, let things just rip. Yeah, it makes it really fun for the audience, I think, to like kind of try and figure out what is truth and fiction. And, you know, we do a little bit of, of it on Dark Side of the Ring, but with Tales from the Territories, these are their tales. And we we like to encourage the subjects to, you know, have fun with telling their stories. Absolutely. And the fact, you know, you got to spend some time with Jerry Jarrett yeah, before he yeah. passed away. And, you know, yeah. just think, I think that's not the first time you've had somebody on that had passed away since. So it's kind of like probably his last full length interview and you got to do it. So, yeah, that was that was amazing. I mean, you know, Jerry Jarrett, I mean, such a historic figure in wrestling, such an important creative mind innovative mind and yeah was it was just something i never thought we'd ever be able to work with him and it was so cool to be able to do it on the show and probably my favorite episodes of the show the memphis and the andy kaufman one so yeah it was an awesome experience 
talking with you guys. I think we did a show for Tales of the Territory as well. Talk is Jericho about that. So. Yeah. Well, cool. We're yeah. here to talk about Dark Side of the Ring. The season is done, has been made. We've done some voiceovers for, for the first three, but let's talk about all the subjects. And, and once again, my question is like, you know, it's Dark Side of the Ring and, and you inquired about a few topics that didn't work out, a few, a few guys that didn't work out for different reasons. Yeah. Once again, you've got 10 crazy stories here uh, is it getting harder to find them or is there so many dark sides of the wrestling ring that you just have a whole even longer list that you can't wait to get to well i mean you know we always are trying to find the stories that are going to be the most compelling and the ones that are going to you know be dramatic and going to work in the hour-long format and there's tons of stories we've talked about over the years some we've tried to get access to that we hadn't until now and so on and so forth. I think the best example of that is the episode about Tammy and Chris. I mean, we, Chris Candido, I mean, we, we tried to make that episode in season two. We wrote letters to Tammy in prison and we had a correspondence with her or in jail, I should say. We tried to get that to happen and then the timing just never lined up. And so now just given her present situation, we're like, well, let's maybe now's just the time we just do it. And so that's what we did with that. And so it was kind of getting around to those other episodes and then honestly paying attention to fans. I mean, people who watch our series, you know, they would take it to social media and saying like, you know, we really want to see bash at the beach. 2000 is an example wow. of an episode. I probably wouldn't have done if it weren't for the number of people that, that really wanted to see that. And also Marty Jannetty. I think Marty Jannetty is another subject too, that was always highly requested. So it was kind of like getting around to the fan requests as well too. I think, when you know some of these subjects you know we we get them across our desk and we don't know like is there really like 45 minutes of a story to tell here right like the marty Janetti story it was like well you know there's a couple rumors here and there but then once we start digging into it it's like wow there is a great story here to tell and talking to him yeah for sure Let, let's talk about that because obviously marty is a very controversial character shall we say um sure. you know and, and it's funny because I was a huge fan of the Rockers, Sean and Marty, obviously. You know, he was one of the guys. He was one of my big influences. So as you see him over the years and kind of he just gets a little bit crazier and crazier, yeah. he's almost the type of guy where like, I don't think I'd ever invite him on the Jericho cruise, for example, because <laughs> yeah. you, you don't know what you're going to get with him. And I don't <laughs> want that element on board. And right. he is the type of guy that I'd be like, I'd love to have him. Right. He's one of one of my heroes from that time frame, but it's just sure. I can't I can't deal with that. So let's just talk about about him. And the fact that it's interesting to me is that obviously Junkyard Dog, Adrian Adonis, Chris, you know, Bam Bam, they're they're not around anymore. Yeah. And Marty still is around and he's yep. still in the middle of his dark side era, if you will. hundred percent. You know, Marty Janetti, Shawn Michaels, the Rockers for me was a huge deal in that peak sort of, you know, WWF period, you know, one of the best tag teams ever. You know, I think what's interesting about this story, not only is Marty here, which is unfortunately a rarity for us in the subjects that we're covering, but, you know, I think the Marty Janetti episode is really going to examine that sort of post-wrestling life. And I think it was a hard adjustment for Marty, maybe one of the hardest in terms of somebody who was right there at the top with Sean in his prime and then ever since that infamous moment through the barbershop window, when the Rockers split up, I think he's been trying to live that up, you know, and and he never quite reached the same heights as that, as the Rockers. And I think after wrestling, there was a moment where I think he sort of still, even though maybe he couldn't perform in the ring, he was sort of perpetuating 
this kind of fantasy world that he was building in himself, if you want to call it that, you know, and it's kind of putting out there a lot of questionable truths and weird stuff, you know, he's putting out on social media. And so I think for us, it was sort of this opportunity to try as an attempt to separate sort of the fact from the fantasy in terms of Marty and sort of get to the heart psychologically, maybe of somebody who um, has so, so used to being at the top of the spotlight and now, you know, unfortunately, he's he's not in a great condition in terms of he's got a really bad ankle injury. It looks really bad. And he's in a wheel. You know, he's pretty much in a wheelchair most of the time. So it's like, you know, someone who's kind of living in that world is their day to day. And, you know, how that may influence the world he's kind of creates, <laughs> you know, when he sits down and creates when he goes to Facebook. <laughs> well, he's always had the, those issues, though, because the barbershop window was not the be all end all. No, it was not. P- people listening might not realize that, that I don't even think they had the match before Marty got suspended or what, you guys know the whole story, like kind of tell yeah. the story of what happened to him after the barbershop, because it wasn't like they just threw him to the barbershop and threw him to the wayside. He had a couple different pushes planned that got yeah. screwed up by himself. Yeah, he's kind of has a, that self-sabotaging streak, you know. I mean, he's had so many, he's had a lot of opportunities, you know, to kind of get back into the spotlight. You're right. Like, you know, after the barbershop window, they were starting to build to an angle. You know, he had the opportunity to do the new rockers right. you know, with Al Snow. Mm-hmm. You know, Al Snow's amazing in the episode, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and there's just like, you know, so he had these opportunities. He even had like an anniversary match with Sean in the 2000s at WWE and, I think he's had these opportunities, but I think because of the, you know, his demons and probably a lot of trauma that was formed at a young age around him, which we try to get into as much as best we can on that episode. I think, you know, he does have a streak of self-sabotage. That's kind of that, that he distills, of course, we should be clear. That is kind of the world has this dark cloud, you know, he's got bad luck and he has, he kind of breaks it down into his own weird mantra that he calls, uh, what's it, Jason? The gat gat. <laughs> The what? God's amusement toy. G A T Gat. That's what he calls it. He calls it, he like he calls himself the Gat. Like he's God's amusement toy that God is playing with and kind of messing around with. Wow. But a lot of the people on the periphery are obviously like, well, you know, Marty, you know, you you kind of heard of you know <laughs> to blame for most right. of these things. Yes. I so I, I like this episode is definitely people are gonna watch it and they're gonna be trying to you know, separate the truth and the fiction. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people will be surprised to see like what we don't say exactly what's true, but I think people will walk away from it. I don't know, maybe having a little bit more heart and understanding for Marty. I think so. Yeah. I don't want to spoil too much, but yeah, yeah, I was even myself. I was like very surprised. Like Mm. some of the things that he was saying, there's more to it than, you would think like some of the rumors that he put out like online, but like, like you've worked with him before, Chris, like you guys have worked in the ring before, I believe. Do you, do you, do you remember what, what it was like being with Marty behind? I only had one match with him. And actually, if you ever, yeah. if you've ever seen the famous list of a, of a thousand and four holds, yes. what people don't realize is the beginning of that was me facing Marty Jannetty and our time got cut. I, from what I recall, we were supposed to have like eight minutes and it ended up being like only two so I just thought it was such a shame that this guy that I knew I could have a great match with. Damn. We never got really even to even have a match. So wow. Was that in WCW? It was in WCW, yeah. United Center in Chicago. So th- that's kind of a forgotten thing. But uh, a couple more things about Marty. He's very was he he seems like he'd probably be very open oh. in what he's discussing with you guys, right? Very, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Very open, very <laughs> honest, maybe a little too honest. 
<laughs> well, I mean, yeah. he's 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 come out and said that he murdered somebody. He's talking about marrying his daughter or something like this, or it's just a lot of really weird stepdaughter things weirdness. Just, yeah, stepdaughter. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and posting pictures. Do you think she's hot? And it's just like yeah, over the line in a lot of different ways. I, look, I think we've landed on the perfect episode title for that episode, which is called The World According to Marty Jannetty. Uh, I think that kind of sums it up pretty well there. I mean, someone who's used to, you know, being in the business, being a part of storylines and being a part of, you know, all that stuff. And it's like what I was trying to allude to earlier, like when the cameras are off and it's like, you know, that switch isn't turned off. And I think he's still trying to be provocative or he's still trying to maintain that sense of relevance and identity. But it's like the world isn't quite listening. But in certain circumstances, they certainly were, especially when you're coming out and saying that you've killed somebody. So we just get into all that, you know, we, and, and, and we spend a lot of time with Marty, more so than we would probably anybody else on the show. Like sometimes we only get one if for two days if we're lucky. I think this was four days with Marty. So it was a, it was a deep immersion of uh, filming with Marty Gennetti. <laughs> Did you ever try and reach out to Sean Michaels to talk about him? Basically, like one of the issues, you know, we have with Dark Side that we've learned from producing other episodes is, you know, cooperation with anybody on that side of the fence, you know, on the, on the WWE side is, right. is really, really, really difficult. And I think even if we did, it, it, we would have met lots of, but, you know, Sean is, yeah, he is part of the story. Obviously, he's, I mean, those guys rose to the business together, you know, and we do touch on that. But I would say a lot of the episode is kind of after that. Gotcha. You know? Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Let's uh, talk about Chris and Tammy. You mentioned that you were writing to Tammy when she was in prison and jail. Yeah. Uh, that's a sad story because obviously I knew Chris and, and worked with Chris yeah. and, and Tammy as well, you know, so kind of delve into that topic. Just for me personally, like Chris Candido was, I was a huge fan as a kid. You know, I was a huge ECW fan and yeah. I'll never forget seeing the powerbomb off the top rope is like, holy shit, that is an insane It's move. crazy that was his finish that he did it every night. Like that's insane. I you know. know. It's insane. I feel bad for anybody who had to take that. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's it's brutal. It's brutal. Yeah, and, absolutely. And so I always loved that. I love the triple threat in ECW. So I was always like into Chris Candido, but never really knew his story. Obviously, do Tammy and Sonny, you know, from WWF and stuff like that. But I think one of the things that was very eye opening to us the more we looked into the story was, you know, how they were such young kids, you know. Yeah. Chris, like, was this guy who, from a very young age, you can tell us, comes through so clearly in the episode that this guy at probably age five, you know, knew he was destined to become a wrestler and was going to do anything and everything possible to achieve that dream. And then by chance, he meets Tammy at a very, very young age. They fall in love and then she gets swept into the business. She was a pre-med student. She wasn't even looking to be part of the wrestling business. And I think the episode just brings you on this roller coaster ride of how these two very impressionable, very innocent couple, you know, is swept into this crazy wild world of wrestling and all of its excesses, especially at the time and kind of where they wind up at the end of it. You know, obviously it's a very sad story. Mm -hmm. You know, Chris left us in 2005 
And for anyone keeping up on Tammy's story, you know, she is in the middle of a pretty heavy legal situation facing manslaughter charges, you know, so it's a heavy outcome. And I think for viewers, it's like seeing where they start and then where they end in the story is is just, it's almost unfathomable. But also at the same time, it, for us, it was an opportunity to really spotlight Chris Candido as a real unsung talent of wrestling. I think he was ahead of his time, you know, for his size and for his style. I think his size and style is more in style <laughs> now. So it was cool to be able to do that. And that was very important to me personally. Why did uh, Tammy not be involved in the in the episode? Yeah. It, I mean, that's really what held us up for so many years, right? Going back to season two, it was always the, the intention was to tell the story with Tammy. And I, I kind of go back and say that we probably would have gotten a two-hour runtime from the network had we been able to secure Tammy. Basically, the problem, it all, literally every season we would check in. We would write a new letter. We would, we would send out more feelers through lawyers and things like, we're doing another season. Yeah. Can we do the interview? And it just never came together. And I think given her current situation where her legal situation is a little more intense, you know, we did have some correspondence where I, I felt very positive she was going to say yes and we were going to do it and we were going to have her in the episode. And then kind of at the last possible minute, we got word that the, you know, at the advice of her, you know, legal counsel that they've advised her not to, I kind of got from that, that she really wanted to. And it was like, you know, she might've just done it anyway, but I think her, she, she really took her, her attorney's advice that, and said, you know, you know, maybe this isn't the right time for this because they're probably going to be going into a trial for this. And, this could influence somebody, you know. So, oh, absolutely, think, yeah. absolutely. And then they and they don't know, you know, not that you're out to sabotage, but however you edit it and cut it, that could, you know, if she has, because these are serious legal issues. Like you said, it's it's, it's manslaughter, right? Manslaughter. Yeah. And she's in prison now. Yeah, but, but we did our best to try and put her voice in the episode, like mm-hmm. use clips from past interviews, and so that's right. Yeah, her voice is in there as, as much as we could. And her story is just as tragic as Chris's is, you know, just from like you see when she's first, like she was absolutely so good and so popular, uh, but but she was actually really good. Yeah. Like she wasn't just a, a hot chick in a bikini. Like she was a great manager. She was great on camera. Yeah. The lines that Cornette had her deliver when she was just a kid, like, yeah. you know, she was all in to get heat too, you know? So you yeah. kind of see that kind of rise and fall story and it's the typical Hollywood tale, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, she was a natural. She she had it, you know, right from the beginning. And, and I think that's something we also was really important for us to spotlight, too. Right. Is that she was a naturally gifted performer in that way, like Chris was. And that also kind of makes the story unique is that you have a couple that's going through all of this. That is just, yeah, it's wild. We've voiced over a few of the episodes, and another one that was very interesting to me was Magnum TA. Yeah. Because I, when I was a kid, you know, you, you, you come into wrestling for your era, and it was all wrestling magazines in my era when mm-hmm. I was, you know, 18, 17, 16. Sure. And I was always reading about Magnum TA, Magnum TA, Magnum TA. And then I remember, I think that exact article that you showed from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, I have that nice that issue with the, the car crash and like how messed up it was. Oh, yeah. But I never really, I didn't watch nwa because we didn't get it in in, in winnipeg right, so right, right. to see kind of just how popular he really was and see how bad that accident really was from a historical standpoint it was very very interesting yeah i mean magnum ta that story is another one that's been kind of heavily requested i would say from like a from a fan viewer point of view on that one and when we were doing territories and we were working on the jim crockett promotions episode we literally were slated to have uh, magnum be a part of that then I kind of got this feeling where I was like, man, 
his story is so good that yeah. I don't want to like just have him do a five minute little spiel on it. I, I think we should really do it justice. Yeah. So we actually kind of pretty much took him off the panel <laughs> and just was like, let's save your story for a much bigger thing, which I'm so glad we did. And it was also logistically tough because he would have had to have traveled cross country for us, which I don't think would have been ideal just given his situation. Man, I mean, his story is so fascinating. We kind of approached the episode because he's such like, you know, he's the Tom Selleck, you know, Magnum PI. That's his kind of vibe is he's doing the Tom Selleck thing. Uh, That was his gimmick. We kind of tried to approach the episode in a way almost as if it was kind of like an 80s movie of the week. Hmm. We're really getting into that music and the dramatic turns of those kind of made for TV movies of the era. So that, so we so we really leaned into that. But you know, hey, it's it's also kind of an uncharacteristic dark side because you do have a positive ending, right? Like a big positive ending. I mean, yeah. here's a guy who overcame his injuries and was able to live a very fulfilling life, you know, despite lots of physical limitations. Yeah, he was told he would never walk again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he did did the work to be able to do that. And now he, he I think he's he, he's in the kind of the scooter thing, but he can still kind of walk when he has to, right? Mm-hmm. He has a modified Segway that I think someone had made for him that this is how he primarily gets around. Yeah. But yeah, it's amazing when you see that archive footage of him after the accident and everything and they, he actually walks to the ring. It's like this super emotional, you know, incredible moment. Jeez. But to, to say what you to go back to what you were saying about just seeing how over he was, how successful you go back and watch the footage we have in the episode of him and like Nikita Koloff doing that best of seven. It's so awesome. I love that. Yeah. Like what a great angle and like how they, how they did it where he's down three matches and then he ties it up three matches and then of course loses it because <laughs> you know, it's such a great heel territory. I love that. Like that's just amazing storytelling too. So it's cool to highlight that. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why I enjoy narrating the show is, you know, it gives me a chance to learn about this sort of thing, you know, and kind of, being a historical, like you said, seeing the stuff for, for real and seeing the fans' comments after you got hurt. Like, where do you guys find all this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> we just always do a ton of research. Like, we're just digging, like, on, yeah, YouTube, scour the internet, just, yeah. Tape traders, collectors, yeah. a lot of collectors. Yeah, like, a lot of, lot of stuff that comes from there. And we should, it's a great opportunity to shout out Kyle, who's our, arch- he's our head of archive. He literally, this man, I mean, he puts... 24 hours a day energy into finding all this stuff. And some of the times I like look at the cuts and I'm like, I don't know where he got that. And I can't believe that exists, Yeah, but he always finds it. And yeah, he's, he's, he's the MVP for sure. Yeah. He'll like find these great little moments with like the audience members. Like I was just watching an episode and it cut to like a kid, like sucking on an action figure. Of <laughs> yeah, rest, yeah, I know what you're you know? talking about. <laughs> yeah, like, it was in the Magnum episode. It's like all the women, you know, in the yeah. audience that are like, you know, Magnum. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's the best. Even like the news reports from the news stations and stuff like that. I'm like, man, where do they find this stuff? It's so so well done. You can tell you guys put a lot of work into it. Oh yeah, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I I love too though when we were able to like um like there's some archives with like news stations as well too that yeah yeah it can be tough to navigate but when you find something like the Adrian Adonis episode has like news footage from the crash the crash yeah. incident which I've never seen before wow never and Kyle found the footage. There's actually like helicopter footage of like the crash site that was unbelievable yeah it's crazy the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Let's talk about the Adrian episode, because that's one of the ones I haven't seen yet, but kind of tell me, uh, mm-hmm. from what I recall, so Adrian Donis was in the AWA when I first started watching wrestling, and he was uh, the East-West connection with Jesse Nevada Ventura, that's and right. I remember when I first started wrestling with a lot of those guys from that era, era they'd say, uh, Jesse did the talking and Adrian did the walking, yeah. he was such a, great, <laughs> such a great worker, you know, but talk about him. I actually remember this, the Adrian Adonis episode being one on your short list, Chris, of episodes yes. that you wanted to see for a while. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, the sort of like uh, the tall tale, if you will, of the crash of Adrian Adonis, you know, in, in um, Newfoundland when that happened in the, you know, in the 80s. To us, it was always this kind of like the story that's been passed down from generation to generation to different wrestlers, locker rooms, the locker rooms, and everyone kind of has a different take on what really happened like, oh there was a moose and they swerved and then they they crashed in this ravine and then there was like you know thieves that came down and stole everybody's money and jewelry and stuff so it was this really kind of exotic crazy wild story and so for us it was a chance just to try to get to like the cl- as close as we could to like what really happened i think the coolest part about the episode for me is that you hear from the only person who survived the crash which is one of the Kelly twins. You know, the, they were these twin tag team wrestlers from back in the day. And um, I think Mark Kelly is his name. And then his brother actually passed away in, in the crash, which is really horrifying and tragic. Uh, but so he gives his firsthand account of that, of that incident. And then as well as we have an interview from Ricky Johnson, that's Rocky's brother, right? I'm actually not sure. I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, Ricky Johnson was in the car like 15 minutes behind them or something like they were all on the on the road together to go to the next town. And so Ricky Johnson was like 15 minutes behind them. And then he actually caught up to the crash scene and um, was one of the people, the first people to see it and stumble across it. So you have a lot of like eyewitness firsthand account to this story that for me for years has always kind of lived in like ether as a legend, you know, almost that's what's really compelling about that. And we get a chance, of course, always to spotlight Adrian as being, again, just another another unsung talent of just one of these guys who was incredible in the ring, just one of the best bumpers, you know, one of the best yeah. performers and a guy who could play like a street biker character and also someone who could play, you know, the adorable Adrian Adonis, you know, the adorable one right. who could do that flamboyance, you know, as well, too. So he's very versatile and super intense, you know, at the same time. Who did you get to talk for that one? One of the Kelly twins, Ricky Johnson, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. In that episode, uh, you also have anyone pop to your mind, Jason? Uh, his daughter is in it. Oh, yeah, his family. <laughs> well, of course, his family. His widow is in the episode. His daughters are in the episode. It's interesting because he's playing this flamboyant gay character, but he's not. How, how did that go over with his family? Oh, man. Well, I think his family was mostly okay with it, but... It's funny, you see in the episode, he has like this one friend that he grew up with and he's like a childhood friend that's interviewed in the episode and they're like from the hard streets of Buffalo, New York, you know, and they were in a street gang together growing up and stuff like that. Like real, almost kind of real serious shit. Like this guy, 
who was interviewed in the episode, like spent some hard time behind bars and stuff later on in life. But so when he found out that this is what Adrian's new gimmick was, he was not happy about it whatsoever. <laughs> and that's just, you know, obviously the time and everything. But yeah, so you see that uh, you do have speaking of AWA, you have Jim Brunzel's in the episode. Obviously, we made a good connect with him from the Territory show. You have um, Greg Gagne's in the episode. He was pretty close to Adrian during that time. I know Dave Meltzer's in the episode talking about it, and my mind's kind of blank in terms of this. Yeah. Do you touch on like how Vince even came up with that gimmick? Because it's so out there for what he was doing before. Well, I think that wrestling has kind of had that tradition, though, you yeah. know, of that kind of character. Like, you know, it is kind of a Gorgeous George throwback. Adrian Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Adrian Street, Gorgeous George throwback. So I think it was kind of a like, well, that worked. Let's try this, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. You know, obviously they went a little harder with it, but I think that was the idea, I think. Like a proven success, you know, as a heel. What about um, the other one that we've done so far is the Graham family, uh, which is tragic in a lot of ways because it's basically three generations of men, father, son, grandfather, who, who committed suicide. Yeah. It even goes, uh, I think, five generations. Uh, Eddie's yeah, it's crazy. father and his brother. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a really heavy story. I mean, it kind of echoes the Von Erich story from season one a little bit in terms of talking about a wrestling family that's endured like so much tragedy. You know, for us, it was, again, this episode was talked about for the show in season one. I'll never forget that. Dutch Mantel was like, you got to do the Grams. Yeah. And um, I just don't think we knew enough about it or had paid the dues, you know, to know about this kind of, this story. But I'm glad that this is this is one of those ones we've kind of saved, you know, for, for later on. And I'm really glad we did. And, you know, um, Eddie Graham, we explored a lot in Tales from the Territories uh, in the Championship Wrestling from Florida episode as like one of the most important, innovative minds of territory era wrestling and all that stuff but to get into his dark side if you will like with this story you know and his battle with alcoholism and then of course his suicide and then mike graham who's his son who would go on you know to be a wrestler and i'm sure you probably met mike you know during wcw and spent time with him yeah and he took his life in the same way and then mike's son took his life in the same way and it's just like this kind of perpetual like suicide as a hereditary sort of thing, you know? And I think what's empowering about the episode though, like the light end of it is that we interviewed Mike's daughter, who's never really talked on a big platform about this story before, but she really gets into how she's the one to break that cycle. Right. And so that's what we sort of used as like the episode is called breaking the cycle. And so that's what it's, I think really about is like trying to address the mental health issues and how to stop something like, cause I, cause she makes a good point. When one person take decides to take their life, it kind of excuses it for everybody else as an option. Right. And so she's the one who's really going to stand up and, and not make that an option. So I think that that's an interesting sort of thing to explore in that episode. It's interesting, too. Like, um, I don't know if you guys even know this, but Mike Graham was the reason why Benoit, Eddie, Malenko, and Perry were able to get out of WCW and, and basically show up in WWE the next week. That's right. Yeah. I believe you said something. I'm going to cut your throat in the middle of the night or something like that. And they <laughs> yeah, went to right. human resources and uh, that was it. See you later, guys. <laughs> wow. That's right. Yeah. There's a lot of shoot interviews on that subject I've, I've seen. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's legit. So um, let's move on down the list here to Matt Bourne and Doink the Clown, which let me just say Doink the Clown when it first came out was just an excellent, excellent gimmick. Right out of the gate. Oh, amazing. Okay, again, Matt Bourne, another territory all-star, you know? Somebody, again, unsung for his in-ring ability. I mean, obviously, everybody knows Doink, but 
And a lot of people today really talk about the Matt Bourne of the territory era. And so for us, we learned a lot about Matt doing territories. Doink was another subject that some people would say, hey, what about a doink episode? And I'm like, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. What is that all about? You know, at least for me. And then when we sort of looked into it and talked to the family and sort of realized that, you know, there was a lot of, shall we say, unsavory things behind the scenes going on with Matt, but also this kind of question over these bizarre kind of circumstances surrounding his death. Was there foul play? Was there not foul play? And that's something that we were tipped off on and something that we really explored in this episode. So it does have kind of almost a true crime element to it as well, too. Also, just getting into the creation of Doink and the pop culture phenomenon of Doink. And I think it's Tom Pritchard in the episode who talks about, you know, the creation of the character was really when somebody looked at him. I think it might have been Road Warrior Hawk. It was. yeah. Yeah, it was Hawk who looked at him and was just like. You know, after a match, he's all kind of, you know, his hair is all disheveled. He's sweating. You know, he's not in shape and he's smoking a cigarette. And they're like, holy shit, that's Krusty the Clown like, right there. <laughs> and I think that's kind of the genesis of that. Yeah. I mean, so we tried to make the episode like the Krusty the Clown biopic. You know, that was kind of what we were trying to go for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And just the fact, like I said, that that doink gimmick obviously has been prostituted so many times by so many different people. <sighs> But nobody yeah. did it as good as as the original, right? Yeah, we we get into that a little bit because like when Matt got fired from the WWE, they had people just other wrestlers assume the role of Doink, and the mental toll of that on Matt, you know, really oh wow made yeah. him spiral. Yeah, I think his partner said that um, he was like on an eight day coke bender. Yeah, as soon as he got fired, stayed up eight days hallucinating. Uh, really intense. Yeah, and and it's kind of like this thing. It's like like the blessing and the curse of the clown gimmick, right? Right. Anybody could just be in the grease paint and then wear that wear that outfit. You know, I mean, not not everybody can perform it as well as he can, but it's a it's a more highly replaceable character, I guess you could say. Of course, we get into the fact that you know he was still trying to use the doink gimmick on the indies as much as he could, kind of disregarding all the cease and desist letters and just <laughs> trying to keep it up, you know, to make a living. So it's, it is, it is, we, we do get into all that as well too. And we also got Hacksaw Jim Duggan for the episode too, who's someone we've always wanted to work with. Right. And that was really cool. He has a, a pretty epic story about working with Matt and getting in a fight with fans uh, when he, they were trying to leave the ring. Hacksaw's fighting a fan and Matt, kicks a fan in the face and knocks out the fan's eye like out of his eye socket i know we mentioned eyes coming out of eye socket probably 10 times i know but it actually happened and they went they they got sued for it and matt got fired oh wow from the wwe or was it mid-south probably mid-south i would say yeah yeah and then 30 years later hacksaw and matt have a match together on the indies yeah on the indies and matt starts shoot fighting hacksaw and you, yeah there's footage of it and you you know they're so much older now and they're in the ring and you see hacksaw being like you want to work or you want to shoot <laughs> yeah i know in front of like 100 people yeah and he's like you want to work or you want to shoot like it's amazing <laughs> it's like a scene out of the wrestler or something i love yeah it. it's unreal the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Junkyard Dog, when I first started watching WWF, obviously he was huge. He was in the Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling cartoon. Yeah. Uh, I remember him coming to the ring to Another One Bites the Dust. And then, of oh. course, it was Grab Them Cakes. Super popular, but obviously another guy with a lot of issues and troubles and problems. Uh, let's talk about Junkyard Dog, JYD. Yeah, JYD. I mean, another uh, another another territory star, another one that, you know, we've just been regaled with so many fascinating stories uh, about him and some that we've always wanted to capture on the show. I mean, there's been some stories with um, some of his feuds in Mid-South that literally have some of our favorite stories ever. JYD is like a, you know, he, he's, he's a pioneering, you know, black star in wrestling, broke so many through so many barriers, became a superstar and uh, reached kind of the pinnacle, you know, in, with Mid-South. And when he made that transition, very complicated relationship with Bill Watts, which we get into. And then he made that transition over to WWF, and it just wasn't ever quite the same. I mean, yeah, he had some truly great moments, but just kind of recapturing that. And I think that he also, you know, again, someone who came from like nothing. And you actually see his uh, childhood home in the episode. Like it's literally like a one, almost a one-room house that like a whole family lived in. And you kind of just get this experience of like, you know, him trying to adjust to fame and trying to adjust to the adulation coming from that background. You know, it's something we really explore and it is a tragic story. And, you know, he got involved in drugs and had a pretty, you know, far decline. So we kind of explore all of that. But it's, it again, is is a story we've always wanted to cover. And so it was a good it was it was it was good to be able to finally do that here with season four. Right from the very origins of Dark Side of the Ring, like before we like rolled when we were just researching this is the very first bit of researching, we came across a story of, about Junkyard Dog that was, yeah. I feel like, what inspired us to make the show, even though the first episode was True. the Bruiser Brody episode. But it was this story about, you know, the blurred lines and uh, how Junkyard Dog was up against uh, the Freebirds and they did a gimmick where they put the nair you know, in his eyes and they blinded him and they, the hair removing cream. Yeah. yeah. And they thought, you know, he played it that he was blind and that, you know, he's going to have to retire. And when they came back, uh, they had like this bit where junkyard dog comes back to the ring to, and he announced the attire, the retirement, a fan like jumped up behind junkyard dog and pulled the gun out on the Freebirds. And was like, I got your back, dog. I got your back. Yeah. And to <laughs> us, that just blew our minds. That was like one of the first things I remember reading of a yeah. of a fan just taking it to that level where they believed it so much that they pulled the gun out and were gonna shoot a wrestler. So yeah. uh it was cool to be able to, you know, tell that story. Well, yeah, and in 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 the Mid-South episode that we did for Territories too, where Michael Hayes talks about like you know, they like caught some guy in the bathroom in one of the arenas and he had a bullet. He had a gun and a bullet inside the gun that had like an engraving free bird on it, you know, and stuff, <laughs> you know, all because of the heat, you know, of these angles and stuff. Yeah. Always just fascinated by, you know, the, that performance art, that real crazy heat of the territory era. And, um, you know, Junkyard Dog definitely touched a lot of those, you know, some of the craziest, ang- you know, angles and moments, you know, in the Mid-South. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Did, did he pass away in a car crash? Yes. It's a very sad story where, you know, he was um, late to his daughter's graduation 
And basically on the way, I think, home from that, he had crashed and, and passed away. Yeah, so a very, very grim story. And then she passed away um, a few years ago. And that episode was challenging for us in a way to try to paint a portrait of who he really was beyond wrestling, you know? Right. From the people that knew him closest. Like his nephew is in the episode and he's very, he's great in terms of, you know, someone who grew up idolizing his uncle and looking up to him and spending a lot of time with him. But again, it's it's tough, like in terms of like the surviving family members, sometimes they're to try and create this portrait. I think we did a good job, but it definitely was tough to get to the heart of who Sylvester Ritter was, you know. Uh, let's move on to ba- uh, Bam Bam Bigelow, another guy who's gone way too soon. Yeah, Bam Bam's one of our, our favorite guys, always yeah. has been. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah, it's it's I, I have this Bam Bam Bigelow shirt that I wear from time to time. And it's like walking around the tri-state area with that shirt still today. You know, you'll see like a blue collar, like MTA subway employee or whatever, or something is just like, Bam Bam Bigelow. You know, like they all, <laughs> everyone just still loves Bam Bam Bigelow. Right, right, right. Yeah, just he made such an impression. And same for us. I mean, we just, we all, he's probably one of our favorite wrestlers ever yeah i think growing up he was like one of the first oh well i just remember really believing him yeah his gimmick to seem like that's who he is yeah yeah. so yeah. unique too at the time like nobody yeah. no, like the tattoos are so common now but nobody had tattoos like that back in the day you know no on their head no less i mean the guy yeah literally has flames for hair you know and it's <laughs> like you just don't see that you know at that yeah. time you know it's like it's like to get a tattoo like that like at that time you had to like you know go somewhere like in a dark alley and like figure that out yeah yeah and and to that like the juxtaposition to like that image and then seeing and hearing from his daughter and his his two sons and just like how sweet like of a dad he was like growing up Mm. that's really interesting like totally because it's just a polar opposite of what the the gimmick is and i'm gonna be honest like with that episode with bam bam it was honestly like Let's just do a Bam Bam episode. I don't care what the story is. Almost, right. You know, like it was like, we just love Bam Bam. We'll find a story or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but it actually wound up being very, 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 very surprising. Yeah. Again, like what you were saying, just like the, the man behind Bam Bam, you know, was so compelling. His family is super compelling on camera. They're, they're amazing storytellers. And then again, you know, the sort of what they were going through with Bam Bam's decline, which is something that I didn't really ever realized yeah i don't i'm not familiar with that either decline in what way i think that's going to be very eye-opening to a lot of people is that you know he was somebody that really was i mean went from zero to 60 in the opiate you know world oh wow and i did not know like the oxycontin thing like i didn't know that really at all and so you really get kind of a first-hand passenger seat to the experience of you know someone who you know is basically just goes from zero to a fast track to heavy, heavy addiction and uh, trying to deal with that. And it's very sad, but at the same time, I think it does a really good job of eulogizing and celebrating like one of our favorite wrestlers like ever. I've heard this story for years and you know what I'm getting to? Was he like put in a Mexican jail as a bounty oh, hunter or one. something like that? Or <laughs> what's uh, like to hold your story, what are you going to tell me? But tell me about that one. Is that true? Yes, it is, which is crazy. And it's in the episode. I mean, Jason, you're you're just about to shoot. Yeah, this. Well, he uh, he was a bounty hunter, and uh, he went down to Mexico to help save like a young girl that I believe was taken down there, kidnapped or something. Yeah, kidnapped or something, and he had a partner with him, and 
the story goes, a partner ended up getting shot in the neck. They both get arrested from the situation. Bam Bam's put in jail. And while the walls of the jail there were like just made out of clay and he would just like, like terracotta walls or something. Yeah. yeah. And Bam Bam would just run through the walls. So you just run <laughs> through these jail cell well, the walls. And the judge was like, oh, my God, like this guy is like we can't keep him in the in the jail. So he, the judge hired him to be his bodyguard and protect yep. him during yep. court cases. And then the judge Jeez. let him go after a little bit of time of doing that. But uh, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was a real, he was a real deal. Like Great story. <laughs> and what's the one you were going to tell, Evan? I thought the one you were going to say, which is the other one that gets mentioned a lot with Bam Bam, is the story about how he saved like a family in a house fire, or, you know, or that. There's oh, a- yeah. Tell us about that. I, I remember that, too. So that was one that we sort of wanted to really get into with the episode, okay, with like the family. And I don't want to like blow their cover or anything, but it is sort of a tall tale that I don't think people wanted to spoiled i don't want i don't think they wanted the curtain to be pulled back gotcha on that one so fans of that story might be a little disappointed and we'll have to still <laughs> wonder what the truth is behind that but i mean dude the bounty hunter story takes the cake you know for that yeah one, for so. sure yeah. <laughs> and, and chris you work with him right on the uh, there was like a a peace festival yeah it was the enoki world peace festival and it was a combination of right. wcw new japan uh cmll in mexico AAA in mexico that's right and i was able to literally hustle myself onto the show actually a guy called <laughs> del wilkes not del wilkes del del james del james okay he, he had a connection with it and somehow i was able to get on the show and not only was i on the show they put me in a three-way match with conan and bam bam bigelow i knew conan obviously from mexico never met bam in my life and he was pissed off at new japan and insisted that i go over on him so not only did i work with him the first time i actually pinned him wow with the old i believe it was he gave me a german suplex and i put my shoulder up and he didn't i got the win yes wow i'm not gonna say he knew who i was but i did have some steam from working in japan and maybe he saw pictures of me or or heard some news or maybe conan put me over whatever but he was great it wasn't like i'm gonna beat the out of you and you're gonna get a quick one like we had a really good match and and i've never i've never seen it back but i remember like it was really good that's cool and i just thought like wow that's really cool of him and then years later then there was another six-man tournament where it was Tenru, Onita, and Bam Bam Bigelow. And wow. my partners were the Barbarian – no, the Warlord and uh, Vampiro. Whoa. Wow. Guess who won that match? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I'm sure Onita did the job for you. In that yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that was – it actually knocked out Onita in the middle of the ring. I could have did pinned you? him and stolen him. Oh, yeah. wow. With a, with a lion salt. But, but that actually – that might have been after. I think the first time I met him was at the Peace Festival, which was 94. And I believe Bam, Bammer came in 95. So – Wow. Once again, great guy. Can't say anything bad about him and treated me very well. Yeah. It's also cool for that episode too, just real real quick. Like there are, there are a lot of new faces in this season, you know, people that we've never had on the show before. Which is great. Yeah. It was awesome. And it was really cool for me, like in this episode, it was the first time we ever interviewed Taz. Mm. My my like highlight memories of Bam Bam growing up was it w- like was in ECW and those matches that Bam Bam and Taz had, you know, where... Taz is suplexing him through the ring yeah. or through the entrance. All that stuff just was like my favorite growing up. So it was cool to like in the episode spend time kind of peeking back behind the curtain on some of those moments, which Taz was very reluctant to do, but I'm, I'm glad that he did. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. 
Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Let's talk about the last two, Abdul the Butcher. I had Butcher on Talk is Jericho a few months ago, which was quite amazing for me. Yeah. Tell us about, about what you got to learn about him and his storied career. I'll just say that, like, you know, when Jason and I were starting out, you know, with Dark Side, we're gr- green as grass, as they say in this business. <laughs> and we had, like, a, you know, marks with cameras. And we were, like, he was literally our, like, second or third interview, right? And I remember Evan was so terrified. I was scared. Ne- no one has ever intimidated Evan <laughs> on this show. But I remember because of that match where he did the electric, the, the yeah, electric yeah, yeah, chair. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, scarred you as a kid well that scarred me but also there were youtube clips of him like you know jamming his fork into like journalists foreheads and things so i wasn't sure what we were walking into (laughs) and then of course i get there meet him and he hustles me for extra cash he sees right through me he works me like (laughs) like nothing it's all classic stuff and i had a tremendous amount of respect for that because it was like oh man it's so old school and he comes from that era that's just like oh it's amazing to even just experience that and so once we got to territories, the show came around and we were we had him for the Stampede episode. It was kind of like, okay, we had we had done so many episodes now, we've been around and we've we've worked with a lot of different wrestlers and had the show out there. Like I wasn't as scared, honestly, of this man anymore. And so I was able just to like, I don't know, it, we just got along a lot easier. It was less tense. And then he basically just said to us, you know, to Jason and I, he was like, you know, he's now ready to finally tell his story. And he said this to us uh, way back on the beginning of Dark Side. He wouldn't even talk about himself. He refused to talk about himself. And he was very closed off, kayfabe, the whole thing. And so now it was kind of interesting to us that he was ready to kind of tell his story and to try and get his story out there. And so that was really compelling to me. And then we started to ideate, like, could we do an episode around him? And obviously, he has a huge career that spans more decades than probably anyone. Maybe Terry Funk is him or Tide. You know, it's close. So when we started talking to him, you know, he really got into his origin story, growing up super poor in Windsor, you know, and you can sort of see where that hustler mentality was born. And then, of course, we track him through his top successes and into Japan and Puerto Rico, but then also like some of the final, you know, gig marks that went too deep, you know? Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Stories of what happened to him, you know, uh, wrestling Hannibal and that whole, the the legal matters that he's sort of entangled in. So we get into all that as well, too. Yeah, it's interesting because he um, he can't read or write either. Mm -hmm. That's the story. That's the story, right? Yeah, Yeah, it it was cool to be able to get his, like, his brother and his sister. Sure. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So glad you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Last year, I made a movie called Kids vs. Aliens. Right. I casted this guy to play this, like, beast alien character, and we're on set. (laughs) <laughs> and he's in this costume as a monster and we're in the basement of this barn and he's like you know my uncle and i was like who's your uncle he's like you know butch and i was like butch abby and he's like yeah and then like but he just started telling me all the stories of his uncles and you know growing up with abby and like you know the family members and that was like a big inspiration too for us like just hearing those stories from him, it was like, oh man. That also got us like serious access with Abby too. Yeah. Where when when he learned that you 
put his nephew over or whatever, you know, yeah. in this movie. You know, his name was Johnny Shreve. Shout out to Johnny. He's a great guy. Yeah. Basically, because of that, I think that earned a lot of trust points. Yeah. Was Butcher's uh, buddy around? The the, the Pottinger? Sheik or whatever Which his name one? is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I did the show, he was on there trying to put himself over about being the next generation of Abdullah. I'm like, this guy needs to shut up. I want to talk to Abdullah. You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, whoa. <laughs> there is a whole posse. He definitely has got a posse. Yeah. And he, I think that's kind of how he's always rolled, you know? Right. right and we've right, always right. been fascinated by that. It's, a, it's yeah. definitely a group of interesting characters, you know? When we did the interview with him for Bruiser Brody, he wanted his bodyguard <laughs> to stand with like a staff next to him during the whole interview. And we were like, that is awesome. Why didn't we do that? But it was like we told him it's going to be like three hours. You're going to just stand there for like three hours. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Now, the last I left this one for last for a reason. Bash the Beach 2000. I'm not really familiar with this whole story. And I, I like the fact that it's a dark side of the ring, almost like the Korean show where yeah. nobody dies. Nobody is on drugs or whatever. Um, well, I'm sure guys well, we don't drugs, know that. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but tell us about, about the story about Bash the Beach. I like with the show that we get to kind of like diversify the types of different episodes that we do. Like, like I think every season kind of has, you know, it's got the, they have the profile episodes, you know, there's the ones that are, you know, very controversial, whatever. And then there's some that are like, you know, moments in time, like events or incidents, you know, like you said, yeah, the um, collision in Korea episode from last season, brawl for all in season two or Montreal screw job in the first season. Like, those are all just like kind of these moments. And I, it, they're really fun for us because we get to kind of like, instead of having to, the challenge of trying to jam someone's whole career into an hour, it's we really get to take like one moment of time and expand it and live in it for a whole hour. And I love those types of episodes. So Bash at the Beach 2000, as I said earlier, it was like fan requested, you know, and I was like, really? Like, what is this whole thing? I got to get into this, right? Obviously, you know, for those who don't know, basically, it's right around the time when WCW was pretty much at a creative decline, you know, into the 2000s. Yeah. These are the final days of WCW, and they've, they'd already kind of weathered the storm on some pretty bad creative, you know, over the past year. And they got into trying to do like a big reset, like a big creative reset where they brought Eric Bischoff back and Russo was there, Vince Russo running creative. There was a big, big ego clashing going on between. Vince Russo and Hulk Hogan and Hulk Hogan obviously infamously had creative control clause in his contract and things like that. And it was a very tense time for the company. They were at a kind of make it or break it. They had to start turning things around. They had lost the Monday Night Wars. This incident that basically took place in the ring, you know, between Russo, Jeff Jarrett and Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff kind of goes down in infamy because it's a total cluster of egos clashing, you know, behind the scenes trying to get to a resolution that works for like 47 different people, um, <laughs> you know, and then of course they totally blow it and it becomes a total disaster. And so for us, it was really like a cool, like to examine that time period in WCW, I think is super, super fascinating. Like you said, it gives us an opportunity to have a different tone for the show, something that's more fun, dare I say, or just, you know, you know, crazy. Cause you are going to hear from a lot of people, we have a lot of trash to talk about each other today <laughs> and really trying to get down into what really happened, which has been tough. The incident of what took place at Batch of the Beach 2000, everybody's got their own version and the truth somewhere lies in the middle of 47 different things. And of course, there was a big legal fallout out of this. You know, Hulk Hogan sued for defamation, you know, for what Russo called him some names in the ring that went off script as an off script moment. 
And um, it sort of is, you know, looked at as one of the final real nails in the coffin for the company. And so we thought it would be interesting to kind of just unpack it, go deep with it. We got Jeff Jarrett on the show, who's never been on the show before. That was a that was awesome to have him. And so he gets into his emotions during this moment. He's a guy that grew up in this business. We talked about Jerry Jarrett earlier, a guy whose lineage goes generations and generations. And then we get into this, he's seeing like how what's happening in the ring here, you know, with Bash at the Beach. And so he has just a very interesting perspective on it. So it was cool. I'm excited to see that one. It's good that you got Jeff. Obviously, you probably couldn't get Hulk, but there's there's, there's quite a few major players that involved with that. Yes, definitely. Because it, it, it does really get into the Russo versus Bischoff ideology. I think at the end of the day, yeah. that's the war. Did of- you get Eric on the show? Was Eric on? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Eric's on. Yeah, yeah. So it's it, Eric and Russo. Which is great. I love those kind of, when we get time to be able to talk about the ideologies of storytelling in wrestling. And, you yeah, know, there's, booking, yeah. Yeah, in the booking of wrestling. Like, Russo has his way of doing things, which is like, you know, being in the moment and shock value. And Eric, you know, believe more in long form storytelling. Reality. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting to see how they clash and then how this whole thing wound up to be just a, a giant cluster. <laughs> yeah. Well, once again, it's a it's a star-studded, uh, interesting slate of episodes for Dark Side of the Ring, and it's it's, it's great to be able to work with you guys again. Now, is yeah. there still stories to be told? Do you have more more ideas in the chamber? Mm-hmm. Definitely, absolutely. It's you know kind of surprising. I mean, you know, we still have many more we want to do, many more we intend to do. So viewers should should you know stay tuned it seems to me as well like by going into the bash of the beach 2000 you know and i know you've done some of those before you did the montreal screw job etc but there's there's probably tons of those types of stories that you can tell that aren't just about specific individuals that had a bad time or whatever you know yeah i love that yeah i i I agree and i I think we can always as the show progresses you know kind of redefine what the show can do and, and where it can go i think you know it shouldn't just have to be like okay here's Here's one tragic story we've heard, you know, over and over. Right, again. right, right, right. And I think I think that episode gave us the opportunity to really kind of look journalistically at something very absurd in the wrestling business, which is a cool. It's cool, yeah. Last question for you: What's your favorite episode uh, of the season, or one that stands out for you today? For me, it's Marty. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not surprised that you said that. <laughs> yeah, and and speaking speaking of different tones, I think that episode feels very unique for the show. It's. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think there's another episode quite like it in terms of like, because we were able to spend so much time with him. And right. The fact he's still alive, too. Yeah, yeah, that he's there. And it's funny. It's crazy. It's upsetting. It's it goes to a lot of different places, you know, tonally. Mm-hmm. I also do really like the Tammy and Chris story. I mean, yeah. you know, it is very classic, you know, dark side yeah. in, in terms of I think it's very emotional and it gets to the heart of, you know, the story while also simultaneously spotlighting what was really great about those two, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I think both of those are probably on top for me, for sure, too. Well, guys, like I said, I'm excited to, to narrate the, the rest of them as you get them ready to go, but uh, we've got yeah. three down so far. They've all been great, so I look forward to, to the next phase. Yeah, seven more. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, appreciate it. 